You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So this is our next to last sermon in a series on how to draw closer to God and recognize His presence. Week one, we talked about God's desire to draw close to us. We find many passages throughout Scripture that, that describe that, and maybe none more significant than at Christmas time, because one of the titles for Jesus that we hear most at Christmas is Emmanuel, and it means God with us. Then we discussed God's desire to be known and present to us, how that's not forced, it's not coerced upon us, that God actually gives us a choice to be with Him. Week three focused on how God's presence to be with us is a gift, a gift given through the Holy Spirit, the one who wants to come alongside and stand with us to empower, equip, inform, even convict us back to the path of truth. Then it was the need to listen for God's voice. So that we're not just thinking about listening to God's voice or just maybe take a a minute at the beginning of the day or the end of the day when things are so rushed and we just, okay, God, you get this peace. But to really consider God in every aspect of every moment. And then last week, we began our first look at Colossians chapter 4 in answer to the question, how do you know if you're seeing God's presence in and through the people around you. And why that's important is because when you can see God's presence in other people, you become more aware of God's presence to you. So last week, we began a a little tour, if you will, a a tour of of a circle of friends that were either with the Apostle Paul or to whom he was writing. Ten friends found at the close of his letter to the Colossians And it's a passage that we might otherwise just, you know, we just skip over this. It's just a bunch of names, right? But we don't want to skip over it because each one of these persons has a story behind their name. So, again, just kind of going back to the reading that we first saw last week, here's Paul's closure to his letter to the Colossians. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Because he is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only two Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. 
Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that you read it to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We are discovering 10 indicators that help us recognize God's presence in and through the people around us. It's one more way of discovering how God is at work in this world. So let's review from last week. You might be seeing God through the people around you if, number one, you can describe how a person's character traits reflect God. This was the example of the first name on the list, Tychicus, who, according to verse 8, Paul writes, was an encouragement to him. Not only an encouragement to Paul, but to all of the believers in the city of Colossae. The second indicator, you might be seeing God through the people around you. If you can see people, not for their earthly status, but for their stature in Christ. This was the example of Onesimus, the runaway slave, the one who was a a, a nobody, a nothing in the eyes of the world, but to whom Paul is describing as my dear, faithful brother. Next, verse 10, was Aristarchus, Paul's fellow prisoner, who provides us with our third indicator. You may be seeing God through the people around you if you observe Christ's followers who stick close to those who are in trouble. In that same verse is Mark. Mark, we know from the book of Acts, was a missionary companion of Paul and Barnabas. But Mark deserted them. He quit. And that made such a sharp disagreement between Paul and and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas split. And Barnabas recaptures, if you will, reclaims Mark for ministry, and Mark never gives up again. In fact, he goes on to become so useful, so helpful to Paul. Paul even proclaims that. It's in Mark that we see our fourth indicator. You may be seeing God through the people around you if you see someone who has failed and is being restored. Well, next, Paul talked about Jesus who is called justice, I guess to to distinguish him from that other guy named Jesus. One phrase best describes him and those like him. Paul says, they have been a comfort to me. Simply stated, our fifth indicator, this last one we looked at, if you see people who are bringing comfort to those who are hurting. Those were the first five. We've got five more to discover, so let's just dive in. The sixth indicator is a powerful one for you and for those around you, and is also a gateway to seeing God's presence. Here it is. You may be seeing God through the people around you if you pray bold prayers 
on behalf of others. Take a look again at Paul's letter to the Colossians, fourth chapter, verse 12. We just read it. Here's this portion. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Paul says about Epaphras, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. That word wrestling is used one other time in this book of Colossians to describe the times that Paul has been struggling for the churches. It's from a Greek word, agonizomai. We get our word agony from it. Agony, to struggle, to, to wrestle. The biblical picture of wrestling that you might best remember is that from Jacob in Genesis 32. Visited by an angel, Jacob wrestles with that angel all night. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now take that struggle, take that wrestling, take that agonizing moment and transfer that onto Epaphras in terms of his praying. This is the powerful prayer warrior that Epaphras is, who's always struggling, striving, wrestling in prayer for you. Paul will go on to say in verse 13 that he is working hard for you. What's interesting is that he brings that work ethic to his prayers. Epaphras prays bold prayers. And when you pray bold prayers... On behalf of others, you get to see them as God sees them. And you start seeing needs and strengths and God's hand at work in their life. You see God's presence in their lives as they experience prayers being answered, prayers that you've prayed for them. Are you praying bold prayers for your circle? That's what Epaphras does. Through his prayers, all those separated by many, many miles from the people in Colossae, he is wrestling and struggling and agonizing for them in prayer. The next character Paul tells us about is Luke with just one phrase, our dear friend Luke the doctor. Now, I have a feeling that you knew Luke was a physician, I mentioned this last week, up until about a year and a half ago, for two and a half years prior to that, we studied the entire gospel of Luke. We knew he was a doctor. But what you may not know is that this passage right here is the only time in the whole Bible that Luke is referred to as a doctor. You see, in that day, the practice of medicine was just becoming its own discipline. And apparently, here's what happened. Luke gave up his medical career to be with Paul, to travel with him. Apparently, God's call on Luke's life was to leave the marketplace and go into ministry. Now, not everybody does. Not everybody should. Luke did. Luke makes this incredible sacrifice for the cause of Christ and for Paul. 
And Paul says in his letter, this is Luke. You know, the, the beloved doctor, the one who gave up his career, he sends greetings. Now, of course, God had another career in mind for Luke beyond that of missionary, an author. Yes, he writes the gospel that bears his name, but he also writes the book of Acts. It's the seventh indicator in Luke's life that we see. You might be seeing God at work through the people around you. If you observe people who are willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, it could be that that sacrifice comes in the form of someone who is homebound and you're caring for them. Maybe it's nurturing young children in the church. Maybe it's serving Jesus in another country. Maybe it's living on less so you can give more. When you see sacrifice, you are seeing the character of God through people around you. How is it that you're seeing God's character through sacrifice? Because God's very character is to give until it hurts. He gave His very own Son to die on the cross for you. God is calling all of us to a sacrifice. It's part of our cost commitment in following Jesus. Now, for some, it may be a big sacrifice. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe you know that and your heart's thumping right now. How are you going to respond? Maybe it's a smaller sacrifice. Maybe it involves some time devoted to ministry. Maybe it involves money. Maybe it involves a difficult conversation, uh, confrontation or conversation with, with someone in your circle. And it's for us to then say, I want to be like Luke and make a sacrifice. It may be uncomfortable. It may even bring some pain. But I'm willing to do it for the cause of Christ. Our eighth indicator to consider is you may be seeing God through the people around you if you observe someone whose first love is Jesus. You think, well, that's pretty obvious, right? Well, for this one, we have to look at the very next name in the list, and it's kind of a sad one. It's Demas. And he's actually the antithesis of this eighth one. Again, verse 14, we saw the very first part of this. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. What you may notice is that out of all ten names, the name of Demas is the only one who doesn't have a description associated with it. But he has a story, too. There was a time when Demas was counted by Paul to be a fellow worker. Here in Colossae, he's simply referred to as Demas. No other description. The last mention of him is in 2 Timothy 4.10 where Paul writes, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. There was a time that Demas and Paul stood shoulder to shoulder, but there was a pattern of drift in his life that went unchecked, and eventually he just drifted out of ministry and drifted away from the circle. 
we never hear from him again. Some of you here today need to do a heart check. What's your first love? Honestly, is it God? And is your first love fresh? Or is the truth that right now you are drifting, perhaps consumed by a career or financial issues or levels of achievement, success, security? And in the process, you've pulled away from God and detached yourself from your circle. There came a time, evidently, that Demas no longer had evidence of God in his life. But God wants you and me to have lives marked by a growing and unmistakable love for Jesus. When someone is drifting, step into their life and call them back onto the path. Or if you find yourself drifting, run to God and tell Him, Lord, I don't want to drift anymore. Help me to stop. Next in verse 15, Paul says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, Nympha, it's believed to be either a widow or unmarried. Because it wouldn't say her house, it would say the house that belongs to her husband. But it's called her house where the church was gathering. So evidently, it was large enough to host a church. You see, not until the middle of the third century did the church own property, did the church have buildings like we do today. It was dependent solely upon a substantial house and the homeowner opening it for the church to gather. It's through Nympha that we get our ninth indicator. You may be seeing God through the people around you. If you see men and women who serve indiscriminately in the church, life in the church was different than life in the synagogue. In Judaism, if your town wanted to start a synagogue, it required a minimum of 10 men to be a quorum. Women didn't count. You may have a town that wanted a, a synagogue, but there weren't 10 men that wanted it, then you wouldn't have a synagogue. You may have 100 women and 9 men, no synagogue. But not in the early church. In fact, the early Christians chose another word to describe their meetings. They didn't have to. The word synagogue was a generic enough word. It just meant gathering place. But the New Testament only uses synagogue to refer to Christian gatherings once. The Christians felt a need for another word to describe their meetings, and it's the Greek word ekklesia, assembly, the church. It literally means the called out ones. So in this new community of faith, in the Christian church, these called out ones, not only did the woman count, she's hosting the church. Nympha, in effect, is a quorum all by herself. And some scholars conclude that because she is the homeowner and the only one named in connection with the church in her home, 
She probably was the leader of that church as well. So in the new community of Christianity, women had a new role. And that's why we ordain women to positions of leadership in our church. It follows on the New Testament. The tenth and final indicator is seen in the life of Archippus. Paul writes to tell him, all right, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. The final indicator is this. You may be seeing God through the people around you. If you see Christians who are faithful to finish what they begin... We don't know what the task was, but apparently Archippus was not going to follow through, or it looked like he wasn't going to follow through with something. So Paul was concerned about this, and he says, see to it that you complete the task that you've received. What a difference it makes in community when someone not only takes on a task, but follows it through to the end. Many of us have lived in families where procrastination or committing and not honoring those commitments are commonplace, maybe even accepted. To be a person we want to be in our circle, some of us need to do a heart check and resolve whatever ministry I'm involved in, whatever task I've undertaken, whatever commitment I've signed up for, I will see it through to finish. I'm not going to let barriers and discouragement and obstacles stop me. When I promise to take on something, you can depend on me. Friends, communities are built on this. God himself is a God of the covenant. The God who makes promises and keeps his promise. Paul's words to Archippus and to all of us is this. See to it that you complete that task you've received. Don't just skip through it. Don't lose enthusiasm. And what he's saying is that when you see faithfulness like that, you're seeing God's presence in that person. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul wrote about God's faithfulness with these words. He who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's how God works, and that's what he wants us to do. Now, one final verse in Colossians. You're thinking, didn't we already look at the 10? Well, this is your bonus. You're welcome. His final words. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Apparently, he he dictates most of his letters, but here at the end, he says, I'm doing this, this part, my own hand, and this is powerful. And he says, remember my chains. It's those chains, as Paul is writing this letter, that fall across the page as he's writing, and he hears them every time his pen moves. Remember, Paul is in chains because he's in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. He is bound to a Roman guard who never leaves his side, and those chains are what bind him, and this is not a plea for sympathy. Paul doesn't even ask the people to pray that he be released from his chains because his chains, a sign of disgrace, 
and weakness in the world had become for him a symbol of the gospel. It's part of Paul's story. What's amazing here is that Paul doesn't say, remember my brilliant words. Remember I'm an apostle. Remember my leadership. Remember my amazing spiritual maturity. He says, remember my chains. It's because of those chains that the gospel is being spread even through Rome. They can chain me, but they cannot chain the gospel. Paul, in effect, is saying, remember my chains. For I do not write as one who doesn't know the cost of following Christ. I, too, have my little cross to bear. For my story is not a story about title or position or diploma or glory. Paul was in chains because he wanted people to know a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God shows up through the people around you. And when he shows up through the people around you, he shows you his nearness, his presence, his character, his love. So if you live out any of these 10 indicators in your life, you may be helping other people see that God is a lot closer than they think. Let's pray. Lord, even now as we come before you, it's with such a a sense of gratitude for how you are at work in this world. And give us eyes to, to see it, minds to be open, hearts that will recognize you at work as we see you through what others are able to accomplish. And even when we seek to try something for you and we fail, and and there are many times that we will, Lord. We just ask for forgiveness and we are restored and put back on the path toward, toward making a difference for you. Lord, we need that and we thank you. And thank you that we have a place in this family to call home. And for this family of faith to continue making a difference. That these indicators show up in us so that the community can see, to see you at work through our church and through the work of all the churches in our neighborhoods. So that we are making a difference to our country, and to our world. In the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.